The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Building Banking on Values with your host, Linda Ryan. Banking today can depend on a variety of factors, including where you bank. It's time to put the power back into your pockets. It's time to change what you think you know about banking. Now, here is Linda Ryan. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Value show. This is a series that goes behind the scenes to shine a light on the values-based banking movement. We've got real stories about real people and initiatives, products, programs, and innovations creating positive change in the banking sector. Who would have thought banking can be positive? In case you're new to the series, the show is all about how a new wave of banks and organizations are reassessing their purpose and redesigning their mission and operations around people, communities, and the real economy. And we'll talk about the real economy today, and we'll give you some more insights as to what that actually looks like. So far, we've explored banking with a social conscience, the concept of feminine banking, lobbying, and teaching for change in the sector, how research and governance is changing the banking sector, how investment banking can actually have a heart. We've looked at concepts like financial inclusion and economic independence, and how the right kind of values-based banking organizations can increase both inclusion and independence. We've looked at impact and how banks can and should go beyond the balance sheet. And we've also investigated how grassroots change in banking is happening at an educational, community development, and Occupy level. We've also looked at how money can actually be put to good use. And last week, we met Laurie Spengler from Include and Jim Prouty from Sapphire, who are bridging the gaps between ethical investment, growth capital, and an equitable global economy. But that's enough about what we've done in the past. On this show, we will meet Blake Good from the RFI Foundation and Diego Isabel Lamanida from the Global Hub for the Common Good, who are driving systemic change through responsible finance and something called Common Good Economics. But first, let's go to David. David joins us weekly. He's a senior advisor consulting in the values-based banking sector, and he's going to take us through the latest news and views on banking and finance. David, welcome to the show. Linda, great to be back again, as always. Excellent. Well, listen, tell us, what, what are the headlines that have caught your eyes in the last week? Well, just to give you a heads up, I've got uh, five different things to go through, five topics to go through, so I'll try to make them fairly quick to get through all of them. <laughs> right. um, and I'm going to start, start with sort of the, uh, the European banking scene, um, where there's a push uh, from the European Union to really make uh, tougher rules for banks, to really try to encourage uh, banks to be, be stronger and, and, and have the financial wherewithal to survive. And there, this is getting a lot of pushback, particularly from France and Italy, as they have some very large banks that are not as strongly capitalized and have some other issues uh, that make it more challenging. And so you see that in Italy, where there's lots of concerns right now over Unicredit, 
uh, Unicredit is also looking for a new CEO. <clears throat> so that's, uh, that's developing. And both France and Italy are pushing pressure on the EU. And there was a very, very, what I thought, strong uh, editorial in the Financial Times uh, today that basically says is uh, strengthening the banks does everyone good. And if you actually look at the numbers, what you see is that the European banking system has put off the recapitalization and the increasing the strength of the banking system uh, that that uh, really started back in 2008 with the crisis. And in the process of putting it off, I think it's made the banks weaker, and they're less able to support the companies in the real economy through lending. And you see a very different uh, situation in the U.S. The U.S. regulators very quickly forced the banks to raise significant amounts of capital. And, and what you hear now is the European banks saying, well, we can't be at a disadvantage with the Americans, but the choice not to raise capital, not to be financially strong, has long-term consequences, and that's playing out now. And, and so I guess uh, it, it goes back to one of my key premises, which is banks should be very well capitalized, and, and those banks that are well capitalized are able to serve clients in good times and bad. So watch the space. There'll be lots of political pressure in Brussels, but it's not clear to me that it's good for the economy for undercapitalized banks to force the regulators to let them off easy. So uh, maybe, we, maybe they need to uh, take their medicine, I think, is the best way to think about it. And David, what's the importance of capital for banks, you know, in raising capital? Like, how do they go about doing that? And what are the consequences of it if it's not done correctly? Uh, the private, uh, the, the key issue for raising capital in this sense is raising equity capital or uh, tier one capital, but let's call it what it is. It's, it's getting investors who like the business model of the bank and invest in that bank so that they can um, uh, earn a return. And the issue is if a bank has more capital from its investors, it's also less risky. So those investors should be willing to take a lower, slightly lower return. We've done research at the GABV that looks at those returns and, and basically sustainable banks, members of the G Global Alliance for Banking and Values, have high capital ratios, uh, slightly lower returns in equity, but considerably less risk. And, and so again, the investor should be looking at the risk return characteristics and it, uh, the banks, uh, so the large banks will say, well, our return in equity will go down. That is correct with, as they raise more capital, but their risk goes down. And I think investors should be happy for that. It's work. It means you have to manage yourself better, but that's a good discipline for any bank. And it's a good thing when banks have more cap capital, then they have a greater ability to, to release that capital into the, the, I guess, the economy and the community so they can do more lending and support our small businesses and initiatives to actually build up the real economy. So it's an important piece in the, the puzzle. And that's, that's why it's so critical that Europe gets its banks healthy, because in Europe, many companies are dependent upon bank lending for their, for their operations. And so to support the real economy in Europe, you need a strong banking system with lots of capital. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of my days when I was, before I left Ireland, actually, and after the financial crisis, and it, we had this quite a unique and bizarre situation where the 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 public had bailed out the banks from a taxpayer perspective, you know, to, to bolster the banks so that there wasn't a run on the banks for people to withdraw money. And although that flow of capital went back to the banks, the banks actually 
haven't, even to this day, still um, flowed that capital back into the community. So while the banks were saved in a way, they didn't actually <laughs> return the compliment. And they're still not, not lending to the extent that they lent before. So it's so it's just a nice example of, you know, if, if, if the book stops at some point in this circle, well, then the, the community and the economy doesn't grow in the way it could possibly grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and following up on that, there was a, a very good article about a recent study from the Boston Consulting Group about uh, investment banks not being able to meet their cost of capital. So that if they don't meet their cost of capital, it's hard to, uh, to raise new capital. And I think this, uh, this is a really critical issue. And they particularly note that European investment banks are, are most vulnerable. And it goes to the fact that, again, many of these large banks have business models that are not profitable enough. And I would argue that that's because of uh, such a great focus on the financial economy as opposed to the real economy, building up large infrastructures uh, in, the, in, in the trading books um, to support the trading books is really not likely to be successful. So another example of where uh, one should look at it uh, very carefully. And I think that's part of the issue that faces the, uh, the, 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 uh, the banks in Europe is a lot of them have invested in investment banking franchises that are not returning the kinds of returns necessary to support either the capital or their investments they've made. So a uh, follow-up piece. And it's interesting you're talking about that, too, because I saw something in the Wall Street Journal yesterday where, you know, banks in the U.S. that are embracing what they call jumbo mortgages means that there's fewer loans for blacks and Hispanics. And just to give you a bit of background on that, it's where U.S. banks are balanced, trying to, I guess, and struggling, I guess, to balance the regulatory appetite for lower risk, as you were talking about. So they're, they're providing mortgages, but only for those high-end or high-net-worth mortgages. And they're struggling then with also trying to, to balance the regulatory guidelines to lend to racially, a racially diverse pool. So basically, the only people that they're funding are those who are more affluent and can afford the higher mortgages. So it's interesting how, you know, it's really about what does it say about the case for banks to serve the real needs and the real economies? And, and it's this dichotomy of trying to balance regulatory um, stipulations appetite for risk and, and return. Yeah, so, and that's a great segue into my uh, sort of my next two, two, two articles. They, they really reflect on, on the personal needs, the personal banking needs. Uh, one comes out of the U.S., and, and, and it, recently there's been a change in regulation or regulation being proposed by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau mm-hmm. to, to focus on payday lending, a very abusive situation. Um, sad to say, primarily uh, present in Anglo-Saxon countries. It's a big issue in Canada. It's a big issue in Australia. It's a big issue also in the U.S. And payday loans are where people are living, literally living hand to mouth uh, from one paycheck to the other paycheck. And then they have a, something happens and they don't, uh, so you, quite often it's an illness or an accident or something, and they need to get extra money. And so what they do is they borrow against a subsequent paycheck, pay astronomical uh, levels of interest rate. It can be two, three, four hundred percent a year when they figure all the fees in and uh, sit in a spiral of debt that never, never goes away. And the Consumer Financial Protection Board in the U.S. Bureau is, is now setting up some rules on that. What's not so well known about that is that although the 
lending actually comes from payday lenders, which are not banks. Those payday lenders, in turn, get their finance either from hedge funds or large banks or whatnot. So, so when you're looking at a bank you want to do business with, you need to not only ask what are they doing in the payday lending space for themselves, but are they financing payday lenders, and 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 how is that happening? Now, some banks are are looking at ways to get into payday lending, not for the profit, but to help find ways to encourage people to get out of the payday lending cycle. And that involves putting together not just a, a lower-cost loan, but also uh, providing financial counseling, financial literacy, and training so individuals can move beyond that trap of being in the payday loan. It's a little bit similar to what is done in a lot of microfinance, where microfinance can be abusive, where it only keeps people in high-cost debt. But microfinance that really focuses on meeting the human needs also helps individuals save the money up to eventually get out of debt. So good news out of America that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is addressing payday lending, but still lots of work to be done and and something to watch very carefully. And it's interesting you mentioned payday lending because we have had a few um, CEOs from banks uh, and actual members of the Global Alliance for Banking on Values, and they have spoken about how they have moved into that space um, in payday lending. And they've moved into that space because of what you said. They're getting into the space to help people actually get out of the space of, of requiring payday lending. And that's the difference between a bank focusing on meeting a human need, which is how do you properly manage your finance, and a bank that's focusing only or a payday lender only on making the biggest buck possible. Um, and that, that leads to, to another fascinating article that was in the Financial Times about uh, the refugee crisis in Europe. And one of the lesser known issues is that there's, there's, as we all know, fantastic safety nets in Europe for everyone. But the only, uh, in terms of healthcare, uh, support for living costs and whatnot, because we want to try and make it a, a good place to live. But to access those safety nets, you have to have a bank account. And one of the real crises now facing uh, refugees is they can't get a, a bank account opened. And, and in uh, Germany, uh, some of the Sparkas, that's some of the smaller, more local uh, banks, are finding ways to open those accounts, but the, the, many of the other banks are not. And I think as we think about how, do, how does the banking system meet human needs across the board, uh, I think uh, banks... Uh, need to think about financial inclusion. And in Europe, it comes in a funny way because there's not a lot of uh, lack of uh, social safety in Europe. But if you don't have a bank account, you can't get to it. So something for European banks to think about is how do you provide basic banking services to help those who, who have fled horrible circumstances have access to safety nets but need the banks to be part of that mix. So, so something for the banks to also be involved in. It's, it's such an interesting challenge as well. And I'd, as an immigrant to Canada, we experienced that too. You know, we would have considered ourselves relatively um, knowledgeable uh, and, I, I guess, money aware. And then when we came and, and came to Canada, we realized, like, nobody knows us. We have no reputation. And, yeah, how do we even open a bank account? And if you can't open a bank account, you can't establish a credit history. If you can't establish a credit history, you can't get basic services like a cell phone or, or hydro. And so it comes back to those very basic things. So it's what are banks doing in those areas? And I think 
countries like Canada and the U.S. probably have more experience in in supporting uh, immigrants coming in and helping them actually reestablish themselves in in these countries. So I think Europe can actually learn from countries across the pond. Yeah, I mean, and if you had those kinds of problems, I suspect you were you were a much more had a much more favorable immigration uh, situation than those who are fleeing war and destruction in Syria. So uh, uh, you can only wonder how bad it would be for them. And then the the last piece, uh, I I had I read a fascinating profile on the U.S. attorney from New York, Preta Barrara who uh, has gone after some of the financial misdeeds. And that uh, was uh, in the May 9th issue of, of The New Yorker. Excellent article um, for all kinds of reasons. But one of the issues that uh, the U.S. legal system has been criticized on is uh, why has no one gone to jail? And that article, along with an article in today's New York Times about a mortgage fraud case, emphasizes how challenging it is to find sufficient facts to secure a legal judgment against someone for some of the misdeeds that happened in the um, in the financial crisis. I think that's good to read, uh, not because I think it's it's right, but it's just factually telling you how it is. And there's a lot of anger out there. I think we see the anger uh, in a lot of the political discussion these days against the big banks that were bailed out, and neither the banks nor their management has had to pay for it. Um, but but when you live in a rule of law society. You have to have facts that will, will make it through the legal system. And although I don't uh, uh, defend or justify the activities of big banks, I think one should also recognize how difficult it is to actually prosecute anyone and how easy it is for people to say, oh, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do anything wrong, I followed the rules. And, and I think that is actually uh, one of the reasons why people are still angry with banks. And I don't think banks have fully understood that that anger comes from a, a belief, I think grounded by facts, that no one has paid for the misdeeds. Good articles David, let me to stop think you about there. Sorry. We have to go to break, but thank you so much. That's been a great roundup of news, and we look forward to having you on the show again next week. Folks, come back to us after the break. We're going to speak with Blake Good from the RFI Foundation. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Values show. We just had a great session with uh, David Corsland who gave us a news roundup and we were talking about things like the importance of capital flow um, knowing the real cost of capital, how banks, values-based banks are getting into the area of payday lending so that they can help get people out of the requirement for that type of lending. The refugee crisis in Europe and financial inclusion and how important it is for banks to actually help refugees and new immigrants establish um, credit history and set up bank accounts. And it's a great segue um, into our next uh, interview. I'd like you to meet Blake Good, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the RFI Foundation, a think tank for responsible finance. Now, RFI is a nonprofit working to identify a neutral, nonpartisan, and universal value proposition that encourages responsible finance practices. Blake was also Chief Research Officer for the Middle East Global Advisors, uh, where he focused on the Middle East North African financial sector specifically in areas of uh, development and growth of the Islamic economy. Blake has has nearly a decade of experience researching Islamic finance and working in the financial sector, and he was also community leader for the Thomson Reuters Islamic Finance Gateway. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell me about the RFI Foundation and, and how it is a think tank. Uh, yeah, we, so we are a new organization registered in the UK, uh, and the, as you mentioned, uh, we're focused on the universal value proposition of responsible finance. That is, how the different approaches to responsible finance practice uh, interact and complement one another, and particularly how Islamic finance fits into that. The first, the first thing we did was a, a report with Thomson Reuters, looking at looking at these opportunities and where where each the traditional areas of SRI and ESG uh, and Islamic finance, how they've developed and how they can develop in the future to, to have greater convergence. Blake, can you explain to us what responsible finance is and what it looks like? Yeah, responsible finance covers uh, a number of different areas, including the socially responsible investing sector, uh, ESG integration, that is environmental, social, and governance data uh, that's been found to identify risks that don't show up in financial statements uh, and put a longer-term focus on financial activities. Uh, It also includes impact investing. And then one area that's not talked about as much but but has a lot of the same principles is Islamic finance, which uh, is built around the principles that are derived from Sharia, from the Islamic law text, uh, but really puts a focus on the on what 
finance is designed to do in the real economy, not just sort of for its own profit. And I think that uh, aligns well with some of the developments that have been happening that David mentioned earlier about the question of who do banks serve? Their their shareholders primarily, or do they serve uh, society at large? And um, uh, tell me about how this relates more specifically to the concept of values-based banking. Like, so the work RFI is doing, and even the concept of Islamic finance. There's there's been a lot of focus in responsible finance, in in responsible investing, uh, on how how you look at specific factors, whether they're environmental factors or governance factors. And one of the things that Islamic finance uh, focuses a lot more on is sort of why, why are we doing this? Uh, what are the, what's the end goal that we're trying to reach? And how does existing practice either meet that, meet that need or not meet that need? And for one of the, uh, the most common uh, screen associated with Islamic finance, if you will know about, is the restriction on interest. But there's other restrictions in terms of the contractual relationship between parties in a transaction and ensuring that they're put on equal footing that I think gets talked about less but is is more reflective of some of the the social values uh, and the consideration of, you know, how does finance work for all of the parties to a transaction. Yeah, so it's kind of we've heard the concept in 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 different ways before with guests on the show that it's really about putting banking and finance back in service of people and the communities, and it's about putting, I guess, putting uh, people before profit. And um, while profit is important to sustain the service provision and the supports, it's not necessarily the end goal. And and where profit comes comes into this type of banking and financing, it's more of a patient um, approach to acquiring that profit than just trying to make a hard and, and fast book. Yeah, the, one of the, I mean, the ongoing debate uh, on this issue uh, in Islamic finance comes down to the issue of form versus substance and in terms of how it sets transactions up and, and how well it meets sort of the, the broader social purposes. And I think that there's there's parallels in the, uh, in the ESG space of, you know, you can identify that ESG integration can increase financial returns and, and manage risk better, but there's not always as much discussion of sort of what, what broader social purpose it serves. But some of the focus on, on impact, uh, in, from ESG investing, uh, is moving in that direction. I think that makes an opportune time for there to be more collaboration between uh, between ESG, between SRI, and between Islamic finance. And you've, you've mentioned ESG and SRI. Can you just clarify what you mean by those terms? Yeah, uh, SRI refers to socially responsible investing or sustainable responsible and impact investing. And that is, tends to be the first, the first generation of uh, responsible investing where there's a lot of focus on uh, excluding companies that are viewed as socially detrimental ESG integration, environmental, social, and governance is what the ESG stands for. That's taking it the next step, realizing that there's no perfect company and that sometimes uh, by investing and engaging with companies, uh, you can improve practices more than by just excluding and also that it has, it can identify things that are uh, 
not on the balance sheet. Uh, and so that's, that's been a rising area, particularly uh, if you look at the Principles for Responsible Investment, uh, which is a UN-supported initiative to, to promote more ESG integration. And it, do you do you see a merging of of these worlds? I guess like the merging of um, uh, values based banking with Islamic financing. And if there's a possibility for emergence somewhere, what does that look like? And where are you seeing it? There is a, a big potential for for it to converge. Uh, the challenge to date has been that. They're speaking different languages. There's not a lot of awareness within each each sector about the other and about what values are are the most important to to the other. There's also a geographical dimension. Islamic banking. A lot of the assets are based in the Middle East, North Africa, and Southeast Asia, whereas uh, SRI and ESG uh, assets tend to be based in uh, North America, uh, in Europe. So there's sort of two two factors where there needs to be more awareness around the similarities between the two, but then also uh, a way to find find some geographical overlaps. And there there are a few. Uh, the, uh, Hong Kong and the, and the United Kingdom have both uh, issued sovereign uh, Islamic bonds as well as Luxembourg. Uh, so there's there's starting to be some geographical overlap that's going to bring more people from Islamic finance and from traditional SRI into contact. And, and one of the things that our five uh, foundation is focused on is really uh, accelerating, accelerating the growth in the awareness of how SRI, ESG, and Islamic finance complement one another. And, and I guess, in essence, that's really what the, um, RF, the RFI foundation is doing. I guess it's creating events and creating scenarios where this thinking can be captured and where this convergence can actually happen. Can you talk to me about any events that you've been involved in uh, recently? Yeah, we had held a, an event at the end of March in Kuala Lumpur. It was hosted by Bank Negara, which is the central bank of Malaysia. And we brought together uh, responsible finance uh, practitioners and academics and other interested people uh, to a discussion about how responsible finance can benefit uh, emerging markets, where Islamic finance is, is really based in the emerging markets. So it has a, an important uh, role to play here. The uh, the Asian Sustainable Responsible Investment uh, Alliance, did, uh, so, which is now part of the PRI, did some research in 2014 that found that about one-third of Asian responsible investment assets uh, are Islamic, and so, and that that number doesn't include the banking sector, which is where the bulk of Islamic finance assets uh, lie. And so, what we found during the event was that there was a lot of uh, a lot of attention going, particularly to Asia, from the ESG world, and Islamic finance has been in Asia and been working in Asia for uh, a couple of decades and can provide sort of some on-the-ground knowledge of you know, how you grow a values-based proposition uh, in an emerging market context. 
And interesting then. So there's lots of, so there is, there's not only appetite, but then there are a lot of players that can actually come, that are coming together in these types of events and, and can do more work. Did, did anything specifically come out of the event that, that struck you as a significant step in helping to, to bring the two worlds together? Uh, yeah, during the during the event, there was a signing ceremony for the Islamic Corporation for the Development of the Private Sector, which is a member of the Islamic Development Bank Group. Uh, it's, it's akin to the, I, the relationship between IFC and the World Bank. It's a similar relationship. Uh, they signed... Uh, they signed an agreement with Saturna Capital, who manages the Amana Funds, which are a large uh, Islamic mutual fund based in the U.S., uh, to develop uh, products that uh, include both the Islamic screens and uh, ESG approach. And there's there's relatively few. Uh, they when they launch a fund, they'll join I think about two other companies, Sedco Capital and Arabesque Asset Management, uh, who have uh, fund products that, that uh, meet the needs of Islamic investors as well as integrating ESG data. So it's a new area, but it's it's one that's getting sort of picking up steam in terms of acceptance uh, in the marketplace. That's a great example of a, of a significant step. We, we've only got two minutes left. So very briefly, can you talk to me about, you know, a, a the single biggest challenge and the single biggest opportunity for for both RFI as a foundation and and Islamic finance. I think the the biggest challenge is uh, bridging the gap between traditional responsible investment and Islamic finance. There's the geographical differences I talked about. There's the uh, the language dif- differences in terms of how values are communicated. And there's also some sectoral uh, differences where Islamic finance is 75% of its assets are in the banking sector, where responsible, uh, traditional responsible investment is primarily in the investment sector. So there's, there's a lot of uh, areas where more awareness needs to be built. But when you bring people together in a room together, uh, in a room together, uh, you find that there's a lot more, uh, as one of our trustees uh, said, there's more similarities than differences. Uh, and I think that's the biggest opportunity is that when you get people in a room discussing it and starting to speak the same language, they, they really find a lot of uh, common ground. Fantastic. So, <clears throat> folks, just to summarize, I mean, we've had Blake Good on from the RFI Foundation on the I, I totally agree with what he, he just said there. You know, this is uh, the, the emergence and the possibilities, the opportunities and the challenges for bringing values-based banking um, together with Islamic finance. It's about bridging, bridging the gap and the convergence of sustainable, responsible investment and and the opportunities available in the Middle East and North Africa and South Asian regions. Blake, if people want to find more information about RFI, can you provide the, the web address? Yeah, our web address is www.rfi-foundation.org, and we're also on Twitter at, at RFI Foundation. Fantastic. Blake, it's wonderful having you on the show. Folks, come back to us after the break. We're going to meet Diego Isabella Manita from the founder and director of the Global Hub for the Common Good. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
or twitter.com forward slash voice America TRN. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Value show. Uh, just before the break, we met with Blake Good, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the RFI Foundation at Think Tank for Responsible Finance. And um, we were talking about the opportunities for the convergence of values-based banking and the concept of Islamic finance in the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia. Um, now I'd like to introduce you to a very interesting guest. Uh, Diego Isabel Lamaneda is the founder and director of a concept called the Global Hub for the Common Good. Diego defines himself as a social entrepreneur and a change maker. He is specialized in new economics, social and political innovation, democracy, sustainable development and business management, and he has extensive experience working both with private companies, public institutions, and governments. Diego is also one of the international promoters of uh, an event called the Economy for the Common Good. It's actually a social movement founded by a chap called Christian Felber. Diego is an author as well as an international speaker. Diego, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for for inviting me and congrats for this lovely and important program. (laughs) You're very welcome. And you're, you're calling us from Spain. I think you're actually on the road at the moment. You're traveling somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I have just arrived from London to, to Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Diego, will you tell us about the Global Hub for the Common Good? What is it and what does it hope to achieve? Yeah, we, we, we are a think tank. We are a non-profit think tank, but we prefer to call ourselves uh, Think Oceans because we are an open, collaborative, and participative uh, platform where people and organizations around the world 
contribute and work together to co-create a new economy. So we prefer, because we are not only experts, but we, are, we have also activists, we have people that are working in different companies, governments, we have academics, so we are a very open organization with that goal of uh, fostering systemic change. So systemic change, is it systemic change of, of what? Of government, of politics, of economy, of, of banking? What is it, what's the change you're seeking to make? Yeah, so our, our idea of systemic change is that if we want to create, let's say, a better world, uh, we need to change the economy. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, now the economy is very important, is the core of the system, is the core of our lives. So if we want to improve our lives, if we want to, to, to finish with the big problems of our society, such as poverty, inequality, even new problems such as uh, climate change, we need to transform the economic model. So for us, systemic change is transforming the economy, so the economy serves the common good, and in that way we can think about transforming the education, transforming the health, and transforming the other important topics of our lives. So, I mean, it sounds like a, a pretty lofty and, and big goal. So where do you start? I mean, what are the, the buttons you're trying to push or what are the tactics you're, you're working on to begin to even change the system and the economy? Yeah, so we, we, we think that there are many people, many organizations that are working to change some uh, different aspects of the economy. For instance, the Global Alliance for Banking and Values, they are pioneers demonstrating that it's possible to do, to, to, to do banking and finances, uh, thinking on people and people-oriented and giving the values. So there are many people working in these different areas, but we are trying to connect all of them because there are people working in banking, people working in social justice, people working trying to transform the companies, uh, people working to promote responsible consumption. But we, we, we are a hub. We call ourselves a hub, a global hub, because we are connecting all these people. How do we do that? We, we are working in three different strategies. The first one, we are opening the discussion and creating a new narrative. Because the current system, the narrative is brilliant. If you think about the, the narrative of the, of the current system, if I tell you, uh, Linda, the more money you have, the more you can consume. The more you can consume, the happier you are. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And people believe that it's true. But then when you listen to your heart and you realize and you look, look uh, around you, you can realize that it's not true. So we need to create another narrative. We, we need to create a narrative saying that if you work with the, living the same values that you want for your family, your friends, and the, and, and the people you love, if you can leave those values on your company, and you work as a civil servant, uh, it's time that you are consuming, thinking on, on the people that are producing or uh, offering the, the, the services. If you listen that way, the values, everything will change. So that is the first way that we're working, just changing the narrative, um, opening the discussion and connecting people. And the second strategy, we are a think tank, so we are doing position papers, we are doing very qualified and high-level position papers and proposals to governments. We are working with local governments. We are working now with the European Union, with some national governments, trying to help them to transform the way that they are doing the, the public policies and strategies. And the third uh, strategy, the third way that we are working, we, are, uh, we, we, we like to call ourselves change makers because we, we need to implement that, that proposals, that uh, political and and. Um, some public policies that we that we are proposing to the government. So we are working that three three areas.
So it's, it's it's three specific areas. I mean, it's it's interesting you say it. I I totally agree. It's about changing the the narrative for ourselves and and for society. It's about creating position papers and practical proposals to government, and then it's about implementing the proposals. Can you talk to me about and some of the position papers that you've drafted and those practical proposals? I'd love to get an understanding of of what's being suggested. Yeah. Yes, of course. I think that one of the most clear papers we, we have prepared last month is one one paper for the European Economic and Social Committee about economy for common goods. Because economy for common goods, this, this is a proposal, and now a social movement in, around the world, uh, created by my colleague Christian Ferber, and the, the core of the method is that uh, in all the democratic constitutions, we say that the goal of the society is, is the common good of the general welfare of the well-being. So we need to transform all the, the public policies in order to achieve the, 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 the will of the constitutions. If you look to the United States Constitution in the, in the preamble, it says that the, the people of the United States, they order and establish this constitution in order to form a perfect union, establish justice, and promote the general welfare. They don't say, we create this constitution in order to maximize um, profit. And benefits. So money is important, as you said before. The, the, the real, the, the money is quite important, but it's only a means. And, and the, the model of economic for the common good says that we need to change that. And how how how, how are we proposing to the European Union to do this? And how the European Economic Social Committee now wrote an opinion according to this? Five clear points. The first one: if the goal is the common good, we have to measure it. We are measuring the profit in the common goods, uh, sorry, in the in the balance sheets, but we have to measure the contribution of the companies to the common good, and we have some tools. Uh, one of them we call the common good balance, so we can measure the contribution to the common good to the stakeholders of each company. The second point: while we can measure it, we have to inform the consumers. So if you are a consumer, you can really select that product, that service for a bank or for other company that really is contributing to the common good. That is your goal as a person, as a, as a community. The third point in this, in this paper is that it's a proposal to reward that company that are contributing to the common good and are contributing to the goal of the society and the most important law in our country, as the constitutions. How we, we can do that? We are making proposals in public procurement, we are making proposals in taxation, and we are making, uh, we are, uh, um, suggesting to include the common good values and, and, and the common good as a goal in each one of the economic uh, policies in, 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 in development. And, and the, third, the fourth one is to change the way that we are uh, teaching our entrepreneurs. Because still today we are teaching entrepreneurs to be successful in terms of getting a lot of money. So we need to, to teach and to, and to coach entrepreneurs in order to be successful uh, according to the, the contribution to the common good with their organizations. And the last point, the fifth point, is quite important because it's connected with the Global Alliance for Banking and Values. We say that we need, in Europe, if we want to create a new Europe, we need to create a banking based on values and a stock and exchange, an ethical stock and exchange. With these five points, we, the proposal for the European Economic and Social Committee is to, to, to create, uh, instead of just a European common market, a European ethical common market with just they're actually very, very practical solutions. I mean, sometimes, I think sometimes the challenge with a concept like common good and even a concept like values-based banking and or values-based business is that it is that challenge around how do you measure it? If you can't measure it, you can't master it. And I think 
therein lies the problem and also the solution. The fact that we're so, um, we have become so profit oriented and so money oriented is because it's so easy to measure. And the challenge in shifting, uh, you know, a whole culture and a whole way of doing business and doing banking is the fact that we're moving into those areas that are both qualitative and quantitative. So I like the fact that the proposals that you're making are both practical and they're looking at, um, you know, how do you measure the common good so that you can master it. You're looking at practical um, recommendations around taxation. And you're also looking at around uh, teaching entrepreneurs, which I think is quite interesting. And it, it reminds me to go back to the massive open online course launched by MIT, which was a world first on this concept of values-based banking. And one of the reasons behind that is they see the opportunity to change how business, the business leaders of the future and the business leaders of today and the entrepreneurs of the future can play a huge role in actually um, developing businesses that are based on value yeah. and common good. Yeah, of course. I, I, but I, I think that uh, measuring is not so difficult because now we have 2,000 companies that are doing the common good balance. Now we are working with local governments we, we, because we have another tool that is called the Happiness and Common Good Index because we want, we think that we need different indicators. We need uh, some alternatives to the GDP and other uh, big indicators. And we have um, both uh, tools for companies, the Common Good Balance, that is quite similar to the scoreboard of the Global Alliance for Banking and Values for bank banks. And we have this Happiness and Common Good Index that is something that in each local government, people come together, they decide what questions they want to be asked every year because are the important for them, and according to the result of the survey of these questions, they come together again and with the, with the local government and with the companies of the local council and all the people and social movements, they come together and they decide how to improve the result of, of, the, of, of the indicator of the index. So we have, we have developed these this different tools. And also one more important, very important thing, we think that there are an emerging new economy, an emerging real economy that we need to connect and to work together. And we are Organizing next year, I would like to invite uh, everybody to, to go there. We are organizing next year a global forum called a New Economy and Social Innovation that is going to be in April in, in Malaga, in South Spain, with very uh, amazing weather. Um, and we are organizing this forum uh, trying to create, let's say, a new Davos. But instead of, instead of being an elite forum with uh, top-down principles, it's going to be a bottom-up forum where uh, companies, business associations, social movements, activists, academics, uh, cities, civil servants, they will come together to discuss how can we transform the economy in, in 10 different topics. We will be working about rethinking money, banking and, and finances. We will be working about uh, work and well-being, how can we get a balance. We will be working uh, about how should be the enterprise of the future, how should be the, the way the, the enterprise of the future leaves the values with the different stakeholders. We will work about education. We will work about how to transform the cities. So it's going to be a, a, an amazing opportunity to be all together. We have invited some uh, networks in, in the U.S., such as the Next uh, System Project or the New Economic Coalition, but I would like to invite everybody to to participate or to be a partner of this forum because I think it's the right moment to realize that working together, this is not utopian. This is a reality because there are companies that are living in this way and working in this way. There are banks that are working in this way. There are consumers that are responsible consumers. And everybody, everybody has a clear, uh, has a clear idea 
that we can transform the economy. In 200 years, they will look at us and they say, come on, guys, you are crazy. You're trying to get more money. Money is important, but it's not the goal. It's only a means. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's, it, I'm so I'm so delighted to hear that you're creating the event because it's what I've often said throughout the show. We've we've had the privilege of meeting such fantastic guests and having them on the show. And what what keeps you know coming to the front of my mind is we need to get all of these people together, all of these organisations together, because there is a movement out there. And now I think it's about connecting the dots and helping people understand what other organizations and other institutions are doing so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel just so that they can connect to make this a stronger movement that's that's based yeah. yeah i think that, that, that that's the, the key point that's yeah. the key point to connect people because for instance the global alliance for ranking bodies they are doing an amazing work so but we are trying to to help them to connect with the consumers to connect with businesses, to connect with local governments. In this way, we can create, as you were saying, a, 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 a huge movement. And one more important ingredient for the forum and for the things that we are doing, we don't think that there are good and bad guys in terms of people or in terms of companies. We think that we have a bad system. So I, I, I have very good friends in the banking sector. I have very good friends in, in big corporations. And they say, Diego, I want to work in that way. But I have learned to work in this other way, competing, trying to get advantage of everything. Um, this helped me. So even people that are working in some companies that we can think, okay, come on, you are the bad guys. No, they are not the, the bad guys. They want to, to transform the way that they are working. They want to transform the, the, the way they behave with the stakeholders. As I said at the beginning, it's just to live the values you want for, for your family, for your friends, all the day, the 24 hours of the day. Because there are a lot of people that are living uh, two different lives. The life with your friends and the people you love, and the lives in your company, trying to get advantage of your suppliers, to get advantage of your clients, to get advantage of your colleagues, to get the next position in the, in, in the company. That is really um, something that we need to transform. And if we, we listen to, not only do we listen to our head, if we listen to our mind, we can realize that it's possible to run, for instance, a company caring about the suppliers, the employees, the clients, the environment, and to get money at the same time, because there are a lot of examples that are doing that. What a great what a great way to end the interview. I mean, I totally agree. It is it, it the opportunity is a convergence of heart and mind. Um, Diego, it's been wonderful having you on the show. If people want to find out more information, uh, is there a web address or a Twitter handle you can share? Yes, we have uh, a couple of websites. The, the first one is www.commongoodhub.com. That is the website of the Global Hub for the Common Good. We are also on Facebook. And the second one is the website for the Global Forum. That is www.neweconomyforum.org. And just to finish, just to say that my colleague Christian Farber, the founder of the Economy for Common Good, he's probably going in September to U.S. and maybe Canada. So if they go to the Internet, now he's doing actual funding in order to go there because we are doing everything bottom up. So I suggest everybody to, to look to the website of Christian Farber because I think it's, they will find something quite interesting in terms of ideas and proposals. Great. Thanks, Diego. Um, okay, so folks, check out Christian Felber on, on Google. Next week, we'll hear from Brett Scott, an alternative finance author and campaigner, and Martin Lambert from Motive Action in the Netherlands, who are experts and heretics of the global financial divide. 
Uh, don't forget to tweet me at Catalyst Warrior. Tweet the show at Voice AM Business. And don't forget to share the show and spread the word because we have the power to build banking on values. Thank you for listening to Building Banking on Values. Please join your host, Linda Ryan, again next Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.